0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, UnitedHealthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection,
2: 24 year old digital content creator and lawyer currently working at Linklaters. Linklaters is a member of the Magic Circle, a group of what is considered to be the most prestigious firms in the world. Eve has a large following on social media with over 131k followers on Instagram and 374k subscribers on YouTube. She creates content about her life as a law student at the University of Bristol, being a trainee lawyer and now an associate's lister. Her content takes you through the ins and outs of everyday life working in law in an uplifting, comedic and insightful way.
3: Okay, so we'll start with the first question. So what was your route into law and how did you decide to become a solicitor rather than a barrister?
4: That's a good question. I think mostly because everyone always has a different story. Mine is so reflective of me. I was a really intense teenager and um, decided at 14 to go and watch some really bloody murder cases at my local Crown Court. Um, And it was mostly because I just thought it was like TV and I thought it was quite interesting. Um, And I remember even when I was 13, I wanted to go to court and they were like, you're not 14 yet. And then I got to 14 and I went to court, which now sounds like I'm destined to be a lawyer, which is really, really funny. Maybe I should have been embarrassed there. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, I just found it fascinating how the barristers like talk to each other. Um, despite some of the content being like incredibly graphic for someone in their young Mm. teens. Um, But I actually found it really difficult to get any kind of legal work experience at all in my teens. I think the legal profession, um, and we can probably talk about this a little bit more um, when we talk about like diversity, socioeconomic advantages, but it's still very much a who you know, um, especially before you get to an institution that can kind of give you a pathway into the industry, um, such as a university. And I didn't know any lawyers. Um, no one in my family does law. I didn't have any friends. There was no one at the kind of school alumni network that was a lawyer. And um, so I got some kind of like really, I w- applied to the local council and I I worked in their like antisocial behavior team, which has a little bit of like translation and cross practice into law. Um, and I found that really interesting. And I was like, okay, this makes sense for me because, I like politics, I like history, I like current affairs, um, I like the idea of justice. So it kind of made sense as kind of a degree discipline. And then I was like, I'll worry about the career and how it translates into the career a little bit later. Um, I think when I got to university, um, I had a really like multidisciplinary experience, which I really recommend like a lot, you'll find now, especially big law firm intakes, like 50% of students are actually non-law. I know both of you said you were non-law as well, um, which means that people are bringing really different like backgrounds and experiences into the profession, which I think is a really positive thing. Um, And when I was at university, I wanted to make sure I'd really tried everything. So I took like a unit in medical law. Um, I tried comparative law, which was comparing different jurisdictions, which was really interesting because that's super different. Um, I tried company law, which is why I've now kind of gone into corporate law. Um, So I think just trying different types of law um, gave me a very broad experience. And then I'd say the key thing that kind of drove me towards being a solicitor was like, I was very involved in my law student um, society.
2: You were president of- I was vice right? president. <laughs> vice president, oh. Okay. It,
4: it's quite funny because the president was called Adam. So it was like Adam and Eve, um, <laughs> which <laughs> which I mean, yeah. The dream it, team. It was, yeah, it's low hanging fruit comedy, but it was quite funny. <laughs> fruit, oh yeah, my God, Adam and Eve fruit. <laughs> I'm coming with these puns prepared. <laughs> but I was very involved in my law society and we had a lot of... We were very privileged at Bristol. I went to the University of Bristol, I should say. And um, we had a lot of uh, law firms come to campus and speak to us about what a solicitor is and what they what they do. And like even as basic as before I went to university, I'd never met a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And even someone who was kind of a professional in that finance, law, consultancy, those kind of more like traditional industries, I had no idea of what those people looked like. And so I think I spent most of my first year, like getting the guts to like approach people at events and saying like, hi, and asking them about their experience. And I think that then kind of like enabled me to then make more applications as I got <clears throat> as I got through. <laughs>
2: no, I mean, well, this is kind of why we started the podcast is yeah. because especially during the pandemic, we were so disheartened by the lack of work experience available. Um and we were like if we just interview legal professionals and at least people listening can like actually get an insight into what a barrister is, what a solicitor. Because yeah. so many people just don't even know and that's fine, because
3: you sort I of suppose if if you're at that age where you've interacted with
2: the barrister solicitor,
3: it's probably something to do with the courtroom. It's not like many people meet them in their exactly. work environment and it seems so different sort of yeah. being in a chambers or a solicitor's firm.
4: When I think when I was at university, one of the main things I took away, which sounds really counterintuitive, is I don't actually like law Mm -hmm. that much or the study of law. Mm -hmm. So and when I say that, I kind of refer to like intricacies of judgments, um, legal doctrines, um, precedents, cases like very black letter interpretation of the law um, didn't interest me very much. Um, However, I was super interested in business and entrepreneurship and commerciality. And so um, I was more interested in basically understanding how lawyers could facilitate companies making decisions rather than um, kind of like the underlying law um, that governed those decisions. Um, And so obviously, it still requires quite a high level of academic legal fluency and education, Um, But equally, it means that on like an everyday basis, I'm not kind of spent, I don't spend a lot of time kind of working with the law, I spend a lot of time working with businesses, which is what I definitely prefer to do more. Um, I think in the difference between solicitor and barrister, when you start researching it, um, there's a very big difference in lifestyle in terms of who you work for, whether you work by yourself independently, whether you work for a big organization, and I knew that I wanted to kind of work within a big organization at the start of my career. Um, So yeah, that was kind of the reason why I chose the solicitor route. And then also I've kind of just added an answer there as why I then went into commercial law. But in case that's helpful to anyone. I also say that because when I was at university, I felt like a lot of people were going into commercial law and I didn't understand why. And in case there's anyone listening to this and they're kind of like, what is commercial law? What is corporate law? I don't even understand what it is. Um, They, that's kind of like my rationale for why I found it interesting and like, what my job entails a bit more in terms of working more with business rather than studying law itself.
3: Just just out of curiosity, I was wondering, you mentioned that when studying law, did you feel like that there was a divide between people who wanted to become a barrister and then solicitor, or was it fairly similar um, in the environment at university?
4: Yeah, it's a good question. I think there, there wasn't a divide, but I think um, because of the nature of becoming a barrister and the barrister profession um, the students who wanted to be barristers were very heavily involved in mooting and debating and kind of building up a lot of soft skills in um, public speaking and negotiation and um, a lot of those transferable skill sets um, whereas you wouldn't see solicitors the, well students who wanted to go down the solicitor route doing as much um, so I think maybe there was a slight more lean on the extracurriculars um, from people who wanted to go down the barrister route Um, and I would also say, like, barristers tend to be a lot more intelligent than solicitors. I don't know whether I should say that, but when I think of my friends who, like... When I think of my friends who went down the barrister route or students who were in my year, they were very, very academic, and I think that's because of the nature of being a barrister. You have to really understand and know the law itself, um, and therefore they were the very, very first class graduates who went down that route
3: <laughs> thank you it's a very interesting perspective
4: so at the moment you've just
2: qualified as an associate at link which is very exciting congratulations um was the process to apply to magic circle firms different from other firms
4: good question i think firstly let's say like applying to f- law firms is so weird it's awful. <laughs> we were just saying this before. Applying to law firms is really, it can be very cutthroat and it's very competitive. At the same time, you're surrounded by very like type, type A personality people who all want the same job. So it's a very hard process in itself. Um, I think generally in terms of the difference, so to give a bit of background, so I applied to two Magic Circle firms, a sales circle firm and a US law firm, which actually gives me quite a good kind of experience of different interviewing or assessment tactics, maybe tactics isn't the right word, but different ways by which they would kind of assess your potential. and all had the same kind of routine of assessment center. Um, You'd have a partner interview, a HR competency-based interview. You'd have probably a written task, and then there'd be some type of bespoke assessment depending on the firm. So it could be a group exercise. Group exercises. Group exercises. (laughs) I'll take time, guys. I'll be the timer. I'll
2: be the scribe. I'll be the scribe.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So all, all had the kind of the classic stereotypical tasks. Um, at, at Linglators, they actually made us redo the, the Watson Glazer in person. Yeah, I've
2: heard that's quite
4: common at Magic Circle firms. Which, yeah, which was interesting because um, maybe this is me being too innocent, but I only realised they did that to basically make sure you were the one that did yeah. your Watson Glazer. Because obviously the Watson Glazer test, for those who are listening that don't know, the Watson Glazer test is like a critical thinking test that basically assesses the way you reason, Mm -hmm. um, and um, you get a score at the end. It's a multiple choice set of questions. Um, Kind of similar to the LNAT, but... I was just thinking that sounds Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of similar to the critical thinking, multiple choice section of the LNAT, um, but slightly more commercial. And um, most firms make you take it so you can kind of, it's just an easy way to rank you basically, because there are so many candidates and they could just like immediately just take out like the bottom 20% or whatever. And um, yeah, I didn't realize that, obviously, if you do that online, other people can take the test for you, yeah. wow. so they make you redo it in person to make sure it's actually you that's getting uh, the grade. Which
2: makes sense, because they are, I I personally find the Watson Glazer really hard, mm. especially because um, it's, how I don't know how you phrase it, but it's like, it's not your score, it's how you do relative to everyone, it's like that curve percentage. Uh, okay, yeah. Thing. so you could get 90% but be in the 20th percentile and it's like it's quite brutal y- it's brutal um, I just took that on that this Friday so
3: <laughs> hey good luck <laughs> it's stressful yeah No, it was you'll be fine crossed. yeah the, the law tests are quite brutal it's sort of just just so quickly you can just be mm. car from like
4: yeah group. yeah it is it's quite hard but yeah they make you they make you redo it in person and then I would also say I think my experience applying to Uh, and I don't know whether this is still the case because now I feel really old when I say this but like I was doing vacation scheme applications maybe like four years ago now Mm. Um, so a lot of that recruitment has got um, a lot better in the sense that it's much more of um, they test for potential rather than current knowledge which is great especially for um, socioeconomic Mm. disadvantage like different barriers that people might have had seeming less polished and things like that so is a bit different but I found my interviews especially at the magic circle a lot more commercially technical um I spent and I'd heard that before I went for my link latest interview and I spent so long like revising for it Mm. I actually think you were saying just before we started recording that when you start application season it's literally like having another university module it's Mm -hmm. like having another unit you have to spend so much time applying to firms and writing applications I kind of treated it in the same way I was like this is like an exam. I need to to prep prep.
2: like some even one day placements you have to write 900 words and they have to be great so it literally is like a full-time job
4: (laughs) it is a full-time that reminds me of that TikTok it's like a full-time job it's a full-time job and it's extremely time consuming um but yeah I actually have a good recommendation for commercial awareness in an interview. So I read the commercial law handbook, which is the City Career Series handbook. And it's basically really, it's like really thin. I, I say that because like it's not a lot of reading and I'm really bad with like reading huge amounts of volume. And I basically learned that back to front. And um, yeah, it was like my tip to success in City. And that's a good piece interviews. of advice yeah and there's so much out there as well especially now it's really interesting because when I was doing um interviews yeah like four years ago there wasn't such thing as kind of like legal influences or like mm-hmm. but now there's a lot of resource even on Instagram about people providing kind of like infographics of advice and mm-hmm. For
2: instance, mm. at Law Talks Podcast <laughs> on Instagram, yes, good resource. Something we're just
4: trying to start bringing to plug. our
2: Instagram. Yeah, I
4: Hopefully. love how you've you've created a podcast to basically like level up yourself yeah. with commercial yeah. awareness, and then you're like, well, if anyone listens, it's a plus. Yeah. But At least we're learning, <laughs>
2: literally. <laughs> literally. But yeah, it's interesting that you applied to a US firm as well, because that's quite different to City and Silver Circle, Magic Circle. Yeah, how was your experience with that? Did you Interview, did you do the assessment center? Yeah, how was it?
4: You're completely right, it's really different. I did um, a full vacation scheme there as well. And it was interesting, it was a very different vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, It was similar. It was more similar to the Magic Circle than it was to Silver Circle. Okay. But it was still very different because they were a Californian law firm and they had kind of their first office in London. But a lot of other US law firms you'll find um, kind of have more of a satellite presence. So they'll have kind of like a small group of partners and um, kind of like a handful of associates and one or two trainees. Whereas you'll find now the bigger US outfits actually have quite a huge number of um, English law qualified Lawyers in the UK. And so they have a lot more of a UK culture and their own kind of like brand and essence. And I really did find that. Um, I'd say, I don't know. I think the difference for me was that um, when I did my vacation scheme, it still felt like they were very new in London. And so I felt that the culture was more consolidated at Linklaters. But I, I, I don't know. I have quite a strong opinion on this as well. And one thing I wish was more kind of accepted in the legal industry is that like your career doesn't have to be linear Mm -hmm. because you accept a training contract somewhere doesn't mean it's where you're going to be for five years. Um, I'm maybe too open about this, but you know, I'm really kind of like open-minded to how long I stay, where Mm -hmm. I might move next, if I move to a different industry. And so I also think if it helps take any pressure off you, you know, you're, you're kind of signing up for two years mm. and then let's see that as a platform where it might take you. Yeah. Um, and you'll figure out exactly whether it's for you, whether it's not, which kind of area you're interested in. Um, even people that really enjoy their um, training contracts sometimes find that there was a particular area they're interested in, and then they go and work specialized. They yeah. go boutique, they go in-house and mm. all of those are kind of equally valid and exciting. So I think whatever makes you happy is the most important thing. And I also think sometimes it's not relatable when you go to events hosted by law firms and kind of you listen to people who've spent their whole career in one place because I would, I'd hate that. I don't, yeah. I don't want to spend my whole career in one mm. place. I want to maybe work abroad. Mm. I want to maybe work in a different industry. I've really enjoyed working in tech recently and all this sort of stuff. So I kind of, to see more fluidity and encouraged fluidity within the legal profession would be so refreshing and it's I think such it, a would, healthy approach. And it would take so much pressure yeah. off law students mm. because you think to yourself like I need to find like the job um well that's how I felt yeah, I need no, I need to find the place that's for me but really it's kind of just the next step yeah. and yeah. then the world's your oyster of that, that
3: that's quite modern because I was thinking so you read so much like we're going to be the generation that doesn't have that linear career, like we jump around. And then it is something I completely agree that then if you start like going down the law path, it's not at all related into there yet. Like It's sort of like training contract, place, start Mm. working. Mm. Keep just working up the ladder at that same place. And I suppose it is hopefully like that they're gonna modernize.
2: And it's even like working from home, like two days a week or having the option to, like everything has changed since the pandemic. And I really Mm. think it's like, I, shake, hope it, I hope it stays that yeah. option to work from home. Mm-hmm.
3: And since we're sort of possibly talking ways the legal industry can change, um, how how do you think the legal industry can support those from underrepresented groups, in particular LGBTQ plus, to get
4: into law? Uh, that's a great question and it's a really important question. Um, I think the approach has to kind of, there isn't just one approach, it has to kind of be multifaceted. Um, I think, there requires an active outreach from law firms to diverse candidates but also law firms need to create an internal culture that will continue to retain their diverse employees I know it's a really hot topic in the industry at the moment of how do we retain junior diverse talent once they even join a law firm so it's kind of like how do we make sure that we've opened as many doors as possible and brought seats to the table but then how do we keep those diverse voices within our conversations and retain them for as long as possible and make sure that they feel supported in the environment that we've created Um, I think so the first of those kind of creating like active outreach um, to diverse candidates um, I think something that I saw at university which maybe I mean you can kind of tell me whether you think this has increased more but Um, sponsorship specifically of diverse networks at university, diverse networks, diverse societies from big law firms or like even like, let's like go cross disciplinary without outside of law, big banks, like big traditional industry players is really, really important. Um, But I think it needs to be more than just sponsorship. I think the trap that a lot of law firms can fall into is quite like tokenistic Sponsorship, And actually what is a lot more powerful is sponsorship that then comes with a lot of like active involvement, whether that's mentorship from the law firm that has sponsored, whether that's panel talks, shared experiences, inviting um, candidates into the office. I think that has a lot of power with it. Um, I also think there has to be within the industry a bigger commitment. And when I say industry, I'm, I'm referring more to kind of big city law firms. Mm, yeah. So maybe this is more kind of solicitor focused just from my own experience, but there has to be a big commitment to wider university outreach. Um, At the moment, there's still such a selective pool of universities and institutions that law firms will tend to reach out to. It's a very selective pool. I'm kind of referring to the Russell Group um, of universities here. And um, when you actually, I mean, maybe you will definitely be familiar with this if you're applying to a lot of firms, but when you go to open days and you listen to law firms talk about the soft skills they expect to see, um, that is not purely academic one out of 10 soft skills that they want is that you need to be, you need to have, you know, a level of academic rigor. I don't know. Mm. And the rest are do with your teamwork skills, your, your leadership, your ability to be able to manage tasks, your attention to detail. And that is not specific to a selective group of universities. Um, all candidates and all students can display those qualities. And so I think that has to be a wider commitment to go outside of the Russell group um, and kind of be able to
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
4: Candidates better based on potential and wider skill sets. Yeah. I think
2: hopefully with the changes grad recruitment have been making to firms and stuff, like you say, there is more of a focus on potential Mm -hmm. nowadays. Um, So hopefully that's something that is maintained.
3: Potential is such a... It's actually really weird perspective but I also used to write it's such a British thing that for ages sort of the focus in the UK has been like you have to already have it and it's actually more American like even so like for training up for like be a GB sports person like in America it's always been that they look at people who they think have the mm. potential and then train them up and it's like so slow moving but really hopefully in the UK that's a good point in a whole it different so British. area like in all different areas um they're gonna start like noticing people that can be trained up because mm. what's the point of a training contract
2: if just looking at people who are already qualified, basically.
4: True. Absolutely, I completely agree.
2: Um, how do you feel your skills as a content creator have helped or
4: impacted your career in law? That's a gr- that's a great question. Um, these are all really good questions. I feel like I'm just <laughs> telling you these are all really good questions. Um, so so I got my job before I kind of got into YouTube, uh, which is interesting, and I think most people don't think that because in law you end up applying really early for a future intake so if i apply in my second year i'm not actually starting my contract until 3 or 4 years later um so yeah when i was actually applying for vacation schemes and jobs i had about 4000 subscribers and i kind of made really like low quality holiday edits um You know, like nothing compared to my content now. It was like really, really crap. And I remember, but I still put it on my CV because I thought, well, I quite like cameras and filming. So I'll put it on. I actually remember when I was in one of my vacation scheme interviews, one of them asked me about it. One of the, one of them, one of the lawyers, (laughs) one of the lawyers was like, oh, I see that you have a YouTube channel. And I was like, oh yes, it's just this small hobby. And now here we are. So it's definitely been like a journey. Um, I think the perspective I take on it is that there is this weird expectation in the legal industry. And you can tell me whether you agree or disagree that when you become a lawyer or you are as a lawyer and, and like there is like this weird expectation that you won't have any other thing about you or your life. Like your whole brand as being a lawyer, which I realize is funny because like all of my social media is about being a lawyer. (laughs) However, there should be more of a norm that, um, all the way from student level to junior lawyers senior lawyers partnership counsel, whoever barristers whoever you are within the legal industry you should be encouraged to have side projects um side businesses i think it's also a generational thing it's what you were saying earlier yeah. in that everyone now is monetizing their hobbies everyone has kind of like that side hustle or that side business and they want to be able to invest time in that so i think I also take the wider opinion that it's almost necessary when you do something like law to have an outlet. For me, that's a creative expression. Um, and that's kind of what I get from from creating content online. And I would also say another problem, this is me coming with like agony and this is all of my problems <laughs> with the legal industry. But another problem with the legal industry is that um, Lawyers never share their own hardship or their own failures. And this goes all the way from first year at university, all the way through the legal profession. No one is prefer- prepared to say, hey, I just failed at something, or I'm not very good at that, because everyone always has this kind of like very, almost like you kind of enter first year, like ready to meet a client. Like, I mean, first year, university law students are like so polished like have this real like cards to their chest and will never show vulnerability and I actually think that can create a very toxic expectation for what a lawyer looks like and so I also think creating content is important because actually becoming a lawyer is really hard and studying law is really hard and um, only a certain percentage managed to get the jobs and all, all this sort of stuff. And I think it sh- people should be more candid about that. And so I also kind of hope by creating content, people feel like it's a little bit more accessible. And it's not just kind of like robots who have to become, you know, like polished robots, apt from lawyers. like we all make mistakes. We all find it hard and kind of like, yeah, you can go and do what you want. So hopefully that's the, the message that I kind of keep wanting to put out there.
2: Do you think like your social media presence has complemented your career, mm-hmm. or has
4: it caused you more hardship? Okay, so talking, talking specifically about whether it's kind of complemented or challenged my career, I think that's a very good question because I think there are bits of both. Um, I think it's a very much a continuing conversation that I have to have within the legal industry about the real value of why things like social media, content creation, anything online is a really positive influence and like really drilling in positive influence. And even now looking back kind of three or four years ago in the way that the industry would look at um, social media is so different now because I feel like slowly now big organizations are starting to take it a lot more seriously and seeing the outreach it can get. In a very like positive capacity, you know, I've been able to help Um, graduate recruitment at my firm, reach out to a lot more applicants who may not have previously considered law and also reach out to applicants at a much younger age. So, you know, students who are in the early teens are starting to think, hey, look, that person can do it. Maybe I can see myself as a lawyer and I see that as a real positive thing. I think the challenge sometimes comes with just, as I said, that repeated conversation of um, telling people why social media is a good thing. But so far, it's definitely not... um, it's definitely not kind of hindered me in any way. Mm -hmm. I will also say there's kind of like, lawyers are their own worst enemies because I very much tell myself, but this definitely leads into imposter syndrome where because I approach my career differently to maybe um, how is expected. So for example, I have like my career where I'm professional and I also talk about being a professional online sometimes that makes me feel like I'm not as much of a professional than other people because I reflect on things on social media, which is actually definitely like a vulnerability I feel I have because um, sometimes I'm scared people won't take me as seriously. You know, I try and the flip side of sharing some of your failures online is that if no one else shows shares failures online and you share failures online, then I'm kind of like, well, does everyone think that I only... Only have failures when actually there's a lot of positives as well, so it's kind of like yeah i I often find there's a hard balance personally of knowing how much to share and whether that will affect other people's perception of my level of professionalism, and yeah, it's just interesting as well because I can like. I think I can switch from being um, very candid on camera to an extreme professional in my work environment, and I think sometimes people don't expect that. Like sometimes students come in for open days, or like they'll come in for like meet me in a coffee in the firm, and they'll be like, "Oh, like you're really serious," and I'm like, "Yeah, this is my job. Like Mm -hmm. this is my this is my career. Like I take this very seriously." Um, So I think there's also like a level of balance between, you know, people respecting that I have a. I have a career that I I have colleagues I have a trajectory I want to follow, um, and also kind of respecting that I also want to share parts of that online, but not more than what I want to share online. So maybe it's just selective sharing, I guess.
2: Mm. You've literally articulated that perfectly. Yeah, though. I was just like even that. you saying when you meet like um, an aspiring sister in the firm for a coffee, and like you're professional because it's like you say that's your job. Like I just love that like outlet oh, you have on it. All. And also, just that I
3: think, because we were talking on the Tube earlier, it's interesting. Obviously, on a far smaller platform way, we probably have had this like we're going through a slightly social media route, and we've definitely had nervousness about. I mean, we're not even at the real application stage, but I suppose the idea that
2: yeah, 240 Hey, Hey.
3: (laughs) (laughs) but we were talking about because you have such a big social media presence, and it's so helpful for people interested in law but then also the flip side of us meeting sort of older lawyers who probably have never even been on Instagram. Mm. It's really helpful to hear that you've probably had like the same worries about um, social media sort of, and then the professional side and how you actually can balance it and it can be really
4: helpful. I I think just we need to continue really reevaluating how we define professionalism. And I feel very strongly about this because this goes all the way down to, so I'm very... I'm like very proud to be a queer woman in quite a traditional and corporate space, and I remember like last time I was in the office, I wasn't kind of like out as a queer woman. Yeah. Um, I hadn't like shared with my colleagues that I was LGBTQ plus, and now I'm returning to the firm after like a long lockdown of like way too much time alone and self-reflection about realizing I'm very gay, um, and coming back to the firm and realizing like actually the way I want to dress down to dress code mm. um, is really different to when I was first at the start of my training contract and I've had a lot of conversations with myself about like well what is professionalism is professionalism wearing a black business dress because that is was what is expected of a professional or is it actually allowing yourself to be expressive and I think what I've realized is that we need to continue to have conversations similar to whether should lawyers have social media yes of course they should we're in 2021 of course lawyers should be able to have positive influence on social media that goes across um dress code that goes across to self expression in the workplace like tattoos i get so many questions and messages from law students and future lawyers saying can i get a tattoo am i allowed a piercing and I don't know, I very much take the oppres- the, the, um, the perspective like, why would a tattoo make you a worse lawyer? Why would That's being able true. to visib- visibly show some form of self expression affect professionalism? It's the same conversation we have about double standards where we say, okay, um, I have a lot of female friends who, wouldn't, who are lawyers in the profession. They have private social media accounts um, because they would never want a bikini photo to be on a pub pl- on their public instagram because they're kind of like well that's not very professional because i wouldn't want like a client or colleagues yeah. to s- kind of see me and like not in a bikini or on a beach and it's like well why do we have that double standard because you know if we had potentially like a male presenting mm-hmm. colleague who was showing a lot of skin or on a beach that would never would we would just never be question them on it holiday it would their just days. be on them holiday whereas it's funny how it goes all the way through to sexual Objectification mm. of female-presenting people. Yeah. Um, it So I just think I'm going on a slight tangent here because it's something that I think as an industry we need, really need to work on. But I think just the idea of professionalism mm-hmm. and what a lawyer really looks like, or how they present themselves through social media, just really needs to be reevaluated.
2: I think it's a good point. I think
4: like
2: I think people can use their judgment to know what's professional and what's mm. not, and that doesn't have to be. Something as simple as like, yeah. you can't wear a badge or something, but maybe it's yeah. like a pin that you speak a second language or the no, pride flag or anything. But Yeah,
3: sorry, I'll, I'll go back. But actually, it's something, not to sound like a child, but I talk about it with my mum all the time. I really, basically what you're saying, I hate the idea that know you want more women in law and you want that but then the idea that when they do they should essentially dress like men is something that really bothers me like i like wearing sort of like feminine suits and colorful suits and stuff and particularly i don't know if you know with with being a barrister it's something that i don't think i can i would even be allowed to do at the moment i think it has to be
2: black or gray suits yeah also this is me having a rant but i found in london If I'm wearing like, I I often just wear trackies or like baggy jumpers because I live in Camden. It's not the safest area. I don't wanna get catcalled. As if I'm in professional outfits, like a suit, anything fancy. I've got my makeup done, say for like today. I always find I get catcalled way more than I do when I'm in home clothes. And I hate that as a woman, if you're dressing professionally, that's when you get catcalled the most. I hate it. Um, Isn't that interesting? It's it's just weird that you dress professionally. And yet you get more sexualized.
4: The one thing I will say about imposter syndrome is that when I was, I first experienced a lot of imposter syndrome actually when I was on my LPC, which is now turned to the SQE um, for the younger generations of lawyers. Um, But I was suddenly surrounded by a lot of people who I felt were very, very um, qualified and from backgrounds that made them a lot more suitable to being a lawyer and all of the expectations we have of what a lawyer looks like interestingly and something that I didn't predict is the way that imposter syndrome can change into a huge kind of prove yourself complex in the workplace and it's something that I'd say has been my biggest challenge in my training contract which is that I have often completely burnt myself out way more than my peers because I've come in with the internal sense that I consistently need to prove myself because I don't feel like I've been invited or that i belong in the space compared to colleagues who maybe have a different background to me or a different level of qualifications um and therefore they kind of deserve to be there so they don't need to work as hard and i think one like huge recommendation i want to have if this trainees list is listening or future anyone in the legal career is that like If you've got somewhere, and if you're at the same place as your peers, whether that's because you've got the university place, which means you're at the same place as someone else, no matter your background, or if you've got the vacation scheme place or the training contract place, you know, you're then at the same point of your peers and you don't consistently need to work yourself harder to try and prove yourself. You've already got there. You don't need to try and like, yeah, you don't need to keep trying to prove yourself I just, I just think it's really interesting how it can often bleed from imposter syndrome into like a burnout, prove yourself complex. And that's something that it, I wish someone had flagged, I wish someone had explained that to me earlier on and I would have been more self-aware of why I was behaving in that way. Whereas I was kind of just like, no, I need to work like really, really hard. Yeah. Um, but it's not necessary like, you're fine, you're there, you've got this. No, you can that's, work as hard as that right That's good advice, especially
2: for us, because we're gonna be heading into that sort of stage of our career in the next couple of years, so that's that's good to know. It's just so important for someone to say this to you, yeah. <laughs> and like, so you can go in and know about it, it's very helpful. Um, so just quickly, I know you have touched on this, but one of our listeners, Georgia, she's actually the one who made all the cover art for our podcast, oh, amazing. so she's fantastic. Um, wants to know, how do you feel like the way you represent yourself in particular in work, where it's more challenging as a woman? And I know you've touched on this, but
4: yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the conversation we've just had. I think it's it's in, it's an experience I've had a lot recently as well, where I'm kind of going workwear shopping a lot over these past two weeks. So I'm for those listening, I'm starting as an associate in a week's time, which is actually super scary when I say it out loud. <laughs> um, and so I'm doing like a lot of workwear shopping and thinking like, how do I want to look in the firm and as a professional. And yeah, I basically have not bought like any business dresses because I don't want to wear a business dress. Um, I also want to have like some level of like queer expression as well. So I'm, I'm not that like queer people have to like look different. You can look however you want. That's the point of self expression. But I would like to wear a lot of color. I'd like to wear a lot more androgynous clothes. I don't want to wear super femme presenting clothes because that's not me or how I identify. And so. Um, And I kind of like have never, I've not allowed myself to question whether it would be okay. I've just said, if I'm bringing my full self to work, which is really important that you don't kind of project a version of yourself that you think you want other people to see, or you think a professional should be. If you wanna bring your full version of yourself, you need to dress how you feel comfortable. And um, I realized that has to be slightly kind of like nuanced with what you were saying earlier about, you know, there being certain restrictions if you're a barrister and having to wear certain colours, yeah. or there being really strong rules. But I think don't, don't ever be the person to say no to yourself. Yeah, that's like a really good lesson I've been, like, taught. If someone ever like takes you aside and was like, "This is inappropriate," I don't know, because you're wearing like a, a crop top in like a client meeting, then then fine, they have that conversation with you. But like, never be the person that says no first. Um, and like, just go in with confidence. And yeah, just don't, don't ever put limitations on yourself. Just dress how you wanna express yourself and identify. And no one can really question that, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. It's like, if you're gonna be more comfortable in trousers than a dress, you're gonna do better work if you're in trousers than a dress, so. Yeah. I, think.
4: I also think like when you work crazy hours, Like who's gonna tell you to change? Yeah, because it's like I was, you know, I was, you know, I was working till really late last night. Are you really gonna tell me to put on a dress and heels? Mm, No, no one's gonna do that. So I think like also have have know your worth.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I love it.
3: And yeah, sort of probably rounds up just the whole podcast episode. But um, so from one of our listeners, Eleanor. Same name as me. Um, What do you wish that you'd been told before getting to law? And um, in sort of the same kind of way, what would you tell your younger self about applying to training contracts?
4: I think one thing I'll say that I didn't have at the start, and I don't know how good of a piece of advice this is because I think it's a real journey that you come to, Mm -hmm. is when, and this relates more to people who um, have started their training, Um, but know where your boundaries are and your non-negotiables are. And I, we've discussed already in this podcast about you know the importance of having extracurricular activities, having passions outside of work that you really enjoy, and knowing when they come first, and knowing when you can't negotiate on missing that uh, badminton match, that tournament that you wanna go to, that gym session. If they're important to you, they're important to you. And don't let anyone ever question that, I think, sometimes when you start a job and this again bleeds into imposter syndrome always wanting to prove yourself like getting to this point of burnout is that you think you have to really give everything to a job because you're like i you know now i'm here and this is how everyone else works you it's so important to make sure your career works for you otherwise you you'll drive yourself out of your career and um I think always know that there's a conversation to be had. It leads me back to the point of saying like, never be the person to say no, and try and be as confident as you can Is having boundaries saying actually no, now I need to step back and I need to take some time for myself. Maybe I need a longer lunch break today because I need to concentrate on my mental health. I want to step away for a second to meditate or whatever it is, wherever you feel like you need boundaries or whether you wanna have your projects or side businesses, you know, Never let like, um, a, like a law firm or an industry or an expectation take that from you. Try and really keep those like things that make you you, keep them and really continue to work on them. Because you'll never know where they take you. Um, you could end up moving out of law and into you know, a brand new realm in, in six years because of a side project you've had and contacts that you've met. So I think mm-hmm. just um, feel real confidence In in being able to do that.
3: Thank you very much. That is just a really good. I suppose also probably a perspective that can be applied to a lot of just different careers. Um, The idea to have I suppose like not lose yourself in the idea of. I mean, you were saying it early. Not lose yourself in the idea of what a lawyer is, like Mm -hmm. still being you.
2: Thank you so much for the interview. Thank you very much. It was such great answers.